Well, after, gee, how many years has it been since 1950? This is like 72 years since 1950. Mm-hmm. After 72 years, th- we finally have a solution to the Fermi paradox. And I'm sure Bill is a, 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 a equated... Oh my goodness, what is the noise that just happened? I think that there is some sort of alien communication going on in my studio right here. Um, We have uh, something called the Fermi Paradox, which basically says that, uh, that it's inexplicable why there's such a high probability of extraterrestrial civilizations and yet such low evidence that any such things exist. I have the answer to that. And this, well, that's good because you are ahead of uh, NASA because NASA just paid for a study that was done by some folks at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and the California Institute of Technology, and then a university in Poland, and even a high school student was involved, had authorship of this study. And the study basically was asking this question and coming up with a novel answer. And I want to give you the title of the study. We may post a link to it in the comments below. But the study is called Avoiding the Great Filter, Extraterrestrial Life and Humanity's Future in the Universe. The upshot of this paper is that the reason why the Fermi paradox exists with such a high probability of extraterrestrial intelligent life and such a low actual evidence that any such thing exists, despite that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence running for the last 60 some years, um, is basically because other civilizations have already offed themselves. They have already extincted themselves. And the reason they extincted themselves is because it almost goes hand in glove that the race for advanced technology leads to the devastating use of that technology that destroys your civilization. So if you get to the point where you're capable of sending a radio signal, for example, to another planet that can be received or of traveling to that other planet, Uh, then there's a pretty good chance uh, that you're just on the cusp of destroying your own civilization. So other civilizations are out there, but we haven't heard of them because right before they were able to communicate with us, they destroyed themselves. Garbage. That's a garbage (laughs) argument. How so? It's a garbage argument. You would be hard-pressed to find a more likely trigger for full-scale thermonuclear warfare than the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I've told this story in uh, Cold War, what we saw, but and I'm not going to go into details now, but there were times when Soviets had direct orders to open fire with nuclear weapons twice. Standing orders, no discussion. This is not, this is you, if you, if A, then B, if A, then B, B means push the button. And they didn't push it, right? Because the cat, because the, because the stakes were so high, there's there's talk that that Ronald Reagan has said that if there was a full scale nuclear strike against the United States, he would not retaliate, and that's Ronald Reagan. Now he can't tell them that he's got to make it look like it, but it but the consequences for full scale civilizational destruction are so appalling that it, it just simply is off the table. There's a much simpler explanation for this. For, for the Fermi paradox. I don't mean to take over this whole thing, but this is something I was thinking about just earlier today. The reason that we're not seeing technological life out there, in other words, we're not seeing life that has been around long enough to evolve into something that can create technology, is because of the moon. Because of the moon, our moon. Uh, the, oh, you're the, one the, of those lunatics. Moon, 
<laughs> I am one of those lunatics. So just as a quick gloss over this, right? Just as a, as a quick gloss over this. Our moon formed when a planet about the size of Mars hit Earth, and it hit the Earth at a very oblique angle. All right. If you hit it directly straight on, it just atomizes things and you get this. But this thing hit at just such a perfect angle. And what it did was it it uh, sped up the Earth's rotation and it put it at a 23 degree tilt. And then the moon is out there. Now, every time that there's a planet killing event, like the extermination of the dinosaurs, right, the Chicxulub impact, 65 million years ago. Every time that an asteroid of that size hits the Earth, you are resetting the evolutionary clock back to zero. The only creatures that survive that kind of cataclysm are the little tiny little things that live underground, right? All of the big creatures and all of the structures and all the rest of it, they're all gone. So, so this button is being pushed on Earth roughly every 100 million years, roughly, okay? But the moon has taken not only so many direct impacts, every crater you see on the moon was was a crater that was coming for Earth. And some of these craters are 200 miles across. So not only is it a shield, but if you look at the physics of it, you try to hit the Earth with an asteroid without the moon, it's nothing to it. But if you try to hit it with the moon, the moon is either going to speed it up or slow it down or block it. So without the moon, that intelligence clock doesn't reset every 100 million years. It might reset every 10 million years or 1 million years because they're taking impacts that our moon is protecting us from, right? That's number one. Number two, the moon is responsible for tides, right? Let me, let me back up one. Yeah, tides. When you look at how life evolved from the ocean to the, to the land, like mudskippers, right? All of these creatures that made the transition from the from the ocean to the land did it in tidal flats. In other words, for six hours it's underwater, then for six hours it's not. Then for six hours it's underwater, six hours it's not. Without the moon, you don't have that. You have no way for life to get to land because you've got no intermediate zone. This collision knocked the lighter elements. The moon is made up of much lighter elements. That meant that the heavy elements from both planets, the iron, in both planets stayed with us on Earth. And it's that spinning magnetic field from the iron that wouldn't be there without the moon's impact that keeps the magnetic field that protects us from, from, from radiation. The moon stabilizes our, our rotation so that we don't completely go upside down in our orbits over the course of 20,000 years. It does that. And finally, when you think about the, the inclination of the Earth, you have seasons, which means that for parts of most of the planet, it's hot and then it's cold, and it's hot and then it's cold, and it's hot and it's cold. Well, if you're going to live with, if you're going to live there, you're fine when it's hot. But if you if you if you have to deal with when it's cold, you got to start thinking ahead, right? You got to start thinking of a way to get through five, six, seven months of freezing temperatures. And I can go on and on and on. I got another six of them. But the the collision that caused the moon was so unbelievably unlikely in terms of the impact angle, the sizes. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. So I think there's probably life everywhere, but the reason there's not intelligent life out there is certainly within any kind of two, three, four hundred light year range. They're not there 
because they don't have a moon. And I could do another six of the reasons why if you don't have a moon, you don't have intelligence. Well, there actually are uh, about uh, five or six reasons in the NASA funded paper, although the one about how the mudskippers developed the Patagonia Parker uh, parka to keep, get themselves through the winter is not included in those. But uh, they say it's a couple of things. These are possible theories other than the Great Filter. And the Great Filter is, of course, what Bill described, a nuclear cataclysm. It could be a pandemic event. It could be, uh, in this paper, prominent uh, places given to climate change. It could even be uh, a political division and racism and inequity and things like that that tear apart a civilization or something beyond our control, or at least until recently beyond our control, such as Bill also described, which would be an impact of some other body hitting the earth from space. Uh, and thank you to that DART mission for showing us there's hope for precluding that. But here's what they say. Uh, some people think that we've already passed through the Great Filter and no other civilization has. In other words, we've survived. Uh, we managed not to off ourselves before we're able to do this kind of thing. Um, or maybe the aliens have always been here and we just didn't notice them. Or maybe they came before we developed and they left before we had a chance to get our wits about us. Or Pause. maybe they don't use radio waves to communicate. They're trying to reach us but we can't hear them because we don't have the right kind of radio set to receive that signal. Or maybe they just don't want to talk. Now, of course, in the paper, my, uh, my theory is not mentioned, which is, of course, that the easiest answer, and this might be the Occam's razor answer, the easiest answer is that beings which fail to exist are poor correspondents and never come to visit. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that could be an issue. But here's here's the key. Uh, like the other episode of Right Angle we did this week where Bill was talking about people trying to change the search for extraterrestrial intelligence into the search for extraterrestrial technology because the term intelligence conjures the old colonial civilizational kinds of things from our uh, distant past – um, this is another one of those where they're where they're drawing out things that they don't like about humanity and basically saying this paper isn't really about why we haven't heard from other civilizations. It's saying what we have to change about ourselves so that we don't extinct ourselves <laughs> before we have a chance to connect with other civilizations. And uh, what I thought was most interesting um, is they would say essentially – the cl our cleverness got us into this trouble, and our cleverness at diagnosing and preventing the greatest existential threats will get us out, okay? So that was stated in one paragraph, and I think in the next paragraph, or very shortly thereafter, it said, innovation has averted free previous threats to the world population, which has doubled in the last 49 years, but we can't expect it to keep doing so. To me, that sounded like categorically opposed ideas. They basically said, look, we've avoided the most devastating consequences of our human nature and our thirst for power uh, that would have destroyed it by innovation, such as coming up with better forms of energy and better distribution methods for food and better medicine and, and, and not uh, launching nuclear weapons all the time. We've, we've been able to do that when the population of the earth went from 4 billion to 8 billion, but we shouldn't count on that always happening. And then they turn around and say, hey, we're clever enough to solve these problems. All we have to do is have the right people diagnosing them and prescribing solutions so that we don't let, for example, climate change uh, destroy the planet before we have a chance to make extraterrestrial contact. 
Well, if we're, if we're going to be convinced that uh, there's there's intelligent life out there, then we we can't be the only ones to assume that despite the the, the technological advances that we've made. I mean, it's, it's always been this you know concern that we're going to destroy ourselves. That that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't be something that's exclusive to us in the universe. Sure, there's got to be someplace else in the, in the universe where they've, they've been able to traverse those same kinds of things and also to make considerations like, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the theory that, that, that Bill is uh, uh, presenting about uh, us being able to send out transmissions. I'm pretty sure that that's something in terms of how we send out signals is something that we've factored in. And maybe something that has to be factored out in terms of how we're going to send out signals into the universe. And I'm pretty sure another civilization someplace else has probably considered not even from just their terrain about how they're able to uh, send out transmissions. They've probably even considered, hey, you know what? In examining the universe, we're looking at how these different planets were made and how it's going to affect uh, them being able to send out signals. What other spectrum can we dial into that can circumvent those kind of complications to be able to send out a message to where other people might be able to read it? So they send out a more broad spectrum of uh, uh, signals, you know, or maybe like even some sort of boutique signal or something like that to even increase their range. Maybe they, they're able to do that. Find a way to combine signals or whichever, or some sort of frequencies or, what, or or whatnot that would make it even more uh, detectable by somebody else or make themselves detectable to somebody else if they want to be found. So, I mean, I don't know. It is, it's, I'm just saying, it's, it, I'm pretty sure that if these other civilizations have been around just as long, one, they probably figured out by examining either somebody else or had the intelligence to be able to look at their own behavior to not destroy themselves before they even get to this point. And if they're able to even launch people out into outer space to be able to find another planet or something like that, surely they'd have a better enough, uh, a better luck sending a signal out. I think they're probably much safer and would probably even have a, a better idea on how to do that to where it can be detectable by somebody else. Mm. I think right now the, the NASA study authors are, uh, and therefore NASA, um, are depending um, on papers like this to be able to communicate to people, hey, we really need to dial back global tensions. We need to deal, we need to prevent nuclear war. We need to, to stop pandemics. We need to stop climate change. Uh, we need to stop racism. We need to unify everybody um, so that we can enjoy the great thrills of travel to space. Now, right now, the method that NASA is using for that is to send out um, these PDF documents of scientific studies. And so they go out into the into our own biosphere. Um, now it's unclear whether alien civilizations have the capability to read portable document format. Um, I don't know whether they have Adobe uh, Acrobat out there, whether that's possible, but it's almost like NASA is sending a signal that says, look, we may, if you conservatives who want to go to space, you adventurers, um, it's only going to happen if we're able to adopt the democratic platform, uh, which is to end racism, to make all people unified, to end inequity, to uh, to stop climate change. Eat insects, to freeze in the winter, to, yes. to, to not have any energy sources. Yeah, that, And I'm that, thinking that, we need to go that, further because it's not enough to just send these PDFs out into our own world uh, where people can change their behavior. But we need to start sending inter, uh, intergalactic signals that tell these potential alien civilizations who may be on the cusp of offing themselves, we, we want to tell them, vote Democrat. 
Vote Democrat. <laughs> the, Save yourselves so that we can meet you someday. I know that's a great close. I just have to chuck one more thing in there, though. You know, it's like because this subject's very important to me. Uh, people have said, oh, we sent out this radio signal at the Arecibo telescope and we aimed it at the Hercules uh, globular cluster. It'll get there in 12,000 years or something. And people have said, oh, our television signals are coming out there. Well, they may be detectable from other uh, solar systems. But the one thing that is absolutely detectable to a range of at least four or 500 light years, the one signal that we've been sending out, we started sending out in the really late 50s, early 60s. And that is the that is the NORAD and, and the Soviet radars. Those radars that are used to track incoming ballistic missiles, the power of those signals is magnitudes beyond any other signal that we've ever sent out there. And anybody who can see that well, no, that's a technological signal. The This idea that, well, maybe they've just advanced past radio. Well, maybe they have. But if I'm flying along in my jet airplane and somebody down on the beach has got a torch, right, and I've got a laser that I can shoot at them, I can still see the torch. Technology works both ways. You, you know, if you you can look down, but you can't look up like that. It's backward but ultimately, compatible. Ultimately, <laughs> that's exactly right, yes. But ultimately, 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 Somebody's got to be first, right? And when you look at the unlikelihood of, of, of things like DNA and all the rest of it, if I had to bet, I would say that life is everywhere. And, and given the total number of planets available in the universe, there's no question there's other intelligent life out there just because the numbers are so big. But I'd be willing to bet you that we don't have anything that is a technological civilization I'll bet you with there's not one within 500 light years, 1,000 light years. It's much, much rarer than what we thought. We thought just put a planet in the right place and everything else will take care of it. No, because we're finding lots of planets that are in the right place and we're not getting jack. Yeah, Frank Drake back in 1961 uh, propounded uh, for a SETI conference actually that they were getting together to do what's called the Drake equation. And it's not really an equation because of the seven elements of the Drake equation, like three of them are absolutely unknowable. Others can be off. All of them are unknowable. Uh, yes, off, others can be off by orders of magnitude. Like, uh, And I, I don't mean just unknowable now. I mean, ever unknowable, ever knowable. <laughs> um, right. And so, but his purpose, Drake's equation wasn't to say, okay, here's how we determine how many radio communicative uh, planets or civilizations there may be in the Milky Way galaxy. It was really just a mechanism to get people talking about what it might take for us to understand process. or process uh, how difficult it will be to accomplish this task. And so he wasn't, you know, planning for you to fill in the blanks on his formula and come up with, oh, it's 673 uh, planets in the Milky Way that could have radio communicative civilizations. So anyway, I, I just thought that this was, uh, and it turns out coincidentally, Bill and I did not discuss this. I want you to go watch no, Bill's it's... segment uh, as well, because we came up with these independently and did not discuss beforehand uh, that we would be doing this. But it is fascinating how men uh, flounder about for reasons to explain why something happens that they are just darn sure should be happening, but has never happened. And, um, and even in the paper, they kind of touch on the theological implications of this. I want to get this, this one line because here it is. Um, uh, to the, uh, to, hang on a second, let me unblock that. Okay. Um, to the current date, 
No substantial or particularly promising traces of intelligent life have been detected. This apparent uh, absenteeism makes the idea of aliens all the more tantalizing. Now, let me stop there for a second. I disagree. I think what would be tantalizing is a little clue of intelligent life out there. You bet. (laughs) Zero evidence is not as tantalizing to me as some smattering of evidence. But in any case, makes the idea of aliens, in quotes, all of them are tantalizing. But perhaps the present, uh, the persistence of efforts toward the field reveals underlying sides to our own motives. The idea of being alone in the universe vaster than our creativity can touch is terrifying to fathom. A feeling of cosmic isolation. And the prospect of discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence can be viewed philosophically with roots in theology. And I thought this was fascinating in a NASA paper to basically say, uh, they say two things about this. Number one, it's terrifying to think that we're alone in the universe. I agree. If I thought I was alone in the universe, that might be terrifying, but I'm not. And number two, they basically said um, that if there's no other civilization out there, well then, hey, this just nothing that we do is worth working for. I mean, what inspiration could we take except for in trying to beat the other civilizations basically and try to be smarter than them? They're not saying it this way, but it's basically this idea that this is our inspiration to take in, to find that there are others out there um, otherwise um, then why bother? If nobody else is out there, that's good news for us. Because that means the real estate prices will be significantly lower. <laughs> that's right. Right. That's, you can't get hurt with dirt as long one. as you don't have and, other planets. And number that have two. Dirt. <laughs> and number two, if it turns out that it is exceedingly rare, exceedingly rare, then that is that to me is is impetus. You you would like to have intelligent life throughout the universe. All right. The 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 uh, the, the former um, you know the former. Uh, Guys that were swinging from trees and finally stood up on their legs, went out into the into the grasslands. Yeah, we'll we'll do it. We, you know, somebody's got to do it. We're good at it. We know how to throw things. We know how to. We know trajectories. We we're we're used to being weightless because of our ancestors and in, in, in arboreal ancestors. We got these handy grabby things that are very useful for putting things together. You know, and we got some guts. Well, we used to anyway. Mm.